Welcome to the Way Church Podcast. The Way Church exists to love God, love others, and make disciples. You can find out more about the Way Church at thewaychurchrva.com. Now we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Amen. Amen. Church, you may have a seat. You know, grab your Bibles. We're going to be in Romans chapter 12 this morning. It's for Romans chapter 12, New Testament. If you're new to that, you can flip to the table of contents. That's a handy little tool in your Bible. Use it. It's what it's there for. Romans 12, verse 1. And so welcome this morning. You guys are looking refreshed, energized, full of rest. I like it. Got plenty of sleep last night? Not so much. But you made it here. Praise God. Romans 12, verse 1. We're starting a, a new series called New View. And so as we're, many of us are working on new resolutions and maybe working on the new you, I think what we really need to go back to is maybe less of focusing on the new you, but really the new view that we need. And that's what we're going to spend this month looking at, is getting a new view, which impacts everything else. And so for those who are taking notes this morning, you can title this sermon simply, Power. Power. And we're going to be looking just at one verse this morning, Romans 12, verse 1. It's Romans 12, verse 1, which says this. It says, therefore, now let's go and pause there, all right? It's going to take us a minute to get through Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, so if you are new to the church, those who've been here for a little while, we know we talk about this. Key Bible study principles. So those who are starting their new year with a reading plan, you're going to read your Bible through in a year, praise God. You got to know what therefore is, right? And so when you see therefore, it should lead us to say, what's the therefore, therefore, right? Everybody tracking there? So what the therefore, therefore is Romans 12.1 is therefore Romans 1 through Romans chapter 11. That's why therefore is therefore. So we don't have time to read all of Romans 1 through chapter 11. But simply what we're looking at, it shows in those 11 chapters Sin severity, meaning the aftermath of sin leaves us worthy of God's wrath, which goes to point number two, the salvation is necessary. And throughout Romans, we see that salvation from God's wrath is by faith alone and Christ alone, by God's grace alone. And then we see that God is sovereign over it all. So we see sin severity, salvation is necessary, and God's sovereignty. And that's what we come to when we get to Romans 12, verse 1, is therefore, because all this is true, therefore it says, brothers and sisters. Again, this is familiar language of the church. We're adopted into a new family. We just sung it. So now we're brothers and sisters in Christ. So it's a completely good thing for you to refer to another Christian as a brother or sister. Because a reminder of God's grace and salvation, how he's adopted us and made us new into a new family. Now we're all in this thing we call a Christian life together by God's grace. So brothers and sisters, it says, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God, this is your true worship. It's interesting, the Apostle Paul doesn't command, but encourages or urges Followers of Jesus to present, offer themselves as a living sacrifice. And what he does here, it points to the motivation that propels action. So real quick, who has kids in here? Anyone have kids? Okay, we got a few. Anyone once was a kid? 
Anybody wants? Okay, so it's about everybody, I think. We could cover everybody. This is what I've learned from being a kid and having kids, is that rarely have I or my kids are compelled to action by because I said so. That rarely propels to action unless there's other additional information. For example, many of you know I did many years in the Air Force or working for the Air Force, and a lot of times because I said so would compel me and propel me to action because I was a man under authority. That was the additional information, right? That's all I needed. Depending on who gave it, the order, I did it because I was under authority and I knew the consequences. That was the additional info. As a parent, I take some different parenting tactics than maybe my dad. If my dad said something, I did it because of authority, because I knew there was swift judgment at the end of his hand, right? My parenting style may be a little different, Rachel and I. We, we try to explain a little more when it's appropriate. I'm not saying all the time. I'm not going to take time all the time to explain every single detail because I said so to my kids, but a lot of times we do. And I think we do that for those who have toddlers. Usually it's don't touch because it's hot, right? Don't touch boo-boo. Whatever you guys say, whatever cute phrases you guys use, there's some kind of explanation, motivation, why not to touch the thing. I remember in high school, there was a, the motivation for abstinence, Right? to wait until marriage. The motivation was STDs. That was the motivation, right? Don't do it because of this. I'll tell you, there's a lot of things you're going to risk certain things for if you're desired enough, right? And we know that motivation doesn't work. Versus, what if we told our kids, at the appropriate age, teenagers for our household, God's design for intimacy Go back to the motivation of God and how he designed certain things for certain ways and specifically intimacy within the confines of marriage. We see in 1 Corinthians 6 that sex, actually, sex has a joining impact with the person that you participate with, a joining together. That's why a man leaves his father and mother and be bound, joined to his wife in marriage. God created this intimacy in the confines of marriage to be pleasing, but there's a joining aspect that happens there. And so what if we did a little bit more of the motivation behind the things we tell people to do? And this is what Paul points to here. Our own kids, we have the don'ts and we have the do's. And we encourage our own kids, as you know, we have quite a few of them, to love one another well. And one of their do's, why? is because that's the longest relationship they will ever have, is with one another. And so love one another well. So motivation matters, and here point, Paul points here to motivation for action, and that is in view of the mercies of God. This is the motivation that compels and urges action, the mercies of God. The only thing that saves humanity from their depravity is the mercy of God. The only thing that saves sinners from the severity of sin is the mercies of God. And in this new view that we're talking about, this mercy and motivation urges only one right reaction. Offering ourselves as a living sacrifice. In other words, a life of worship. A life of worship. Not a, only a morning of worship. I don't know about your family environments or how you've been raised or even now, but a lot of my background is different. But what I've been taught a lot of my life is worship is what you do on Sunday morning. And then you go through Monday through Saturday the way you want. That's not biblical. We're called to a life of worship. And so in this 
life of worship, this living sacrifice, this 12-1 way of worship is going to be our 2023 focus for our church, is a life of worship. This Holy Spirit-filled focus will help us with this new view of living a life worthy of worship. This sacrifice that we see. And the Bible's interesting. Sacrifice in the Old Testament was something you would do, right? You would present, you would offer a sacrifice, this dead sacrifice. In the New Testament, it says it's something that you are. To be a sacrifice, this living sacrifice, this life of worship. And we see in Romans 12, 1, he says, I urge you to present your bodies. This word, urge, is interesting. The Apostle Paul, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, effectively shows the churches in Rome what the Holy Spirit does in each Christian's life. That is, urges, encourages to action. The Greek word here for urges or courages is noteworthy. Parakaleo. Parakaleo. Why is that noteworthy? It may not be to you, but I'm going to explain why. It comes from the word paraclete. Why is that noteworthy? That's the word Jesus uses when referencing the Holy Spirit, the counselor, advocate, helper, the paraclete. So it's a good word in John 14, 16. Jesus says, and I will ask the Father, I will ask the Father, and he will give another counselor to you to be with you forever. This counselor, advocate, helper, the paraclete. It's a good word, and I think it's worthy to memorize. And so if you're simple like me, I like simple things, I'm a simple person. And so when I used to play flag football just for fun, I remember one time we were out there, and there was one guy just dominating. Like, couldn't keep up with him. Breaking people's ankles, right? Like, he was just all over the place. You know why? He may have been a little better. better. He had a pair of cleats. That's right. Paracletes. What happens if you don't have a pair of cleats? You have no grip, no grounding, out of control. So those of you who need a grip in your life, the paracletes is here to help, right? We have a counselor, advocate, the paraclete. And his life of worship consists of dependence on God out of desire to be obedient to God. And so we see that in John 14, 6, that he's going to send a counselor to be with us forever. But what comes before John 14, 16? 15. That's free. Write that down. Bible study principle. 15 before 16. That's how that works. He says in verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commands, which followed by verse 16, if you're tracking there. Then I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. So how do we become obedient and desire to be obedient to Christ and keep his commands? It's by the advocate, the counselor, the helper, the paraclete. The only power of the Holy Spirit we can, that he gives us is a life pleasing to God. That's the only way we can live this life of worship is by the paraclete, the counselor, the helper, the advocate that is with us. And so quick, quick things, what it doesn't mean and what it does mean. This life of a live full of a life of worship or living sacrifice. It doesn't start with your stuff. I think this is obviously kind of where we go sometimes. Like to live a life of sacrifice, that means I got to give my stuff away. I got to offer my stuff back to God, my time, my talents, my treasures. I got to offer that back to God, which is interesting if you think about it, which we're going to. My oldest son is very, um, he likes to play with engines, build things. He recently put a motor on a scooter to make it go faster. That's like his thing, just go faster. 
You see him, he has all kinds of scrapes and bumps and bruises, that's what he does. But he likes to fix things and work on things, but he doesn't have all the tools necessary, so he'll often come to dad, right, and say, dad, can I borrow some tools? Sure. So what he doesn't do is after he borrows my tools and returns them, he doesn't say, hey, dad, listen, here's your tools back. As an offering, as how much I love you, I brought your tools back to you. Right? Why? Because they're not his. I gave them to him to loan. Of course they're mine. He's not going to offer them back to me. Like, I'm not pleased with that. They're mine to begin with. I gave them to him to use, to steward, to manage. In the same way, God's given us our time, talents, and treasures. Again, Bible terminology, to steward, to manage, to use. And so are we to offer those back to him? Absolutely. It just doesn't start there. So being a living sacrifice doesn't mean I start with offering my stuff. Being a living sacrifice, a life of worship, starts with giving yourself. That's where it starts. This is the 12-1 way of life of worship. This type of pleasing sacrifice only comes by way of surrender. This goes back to what Jesus says, if anyone wants to follow me in Luke 9, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. It's a daily surrender, daily. And he says, follow me. Do you remember the disciples asked Jesus, how do you how to pray? And we're going to talk about prayer this month. But how do you pray? Because they saw that Jesus prayed differently. And they wanted to pray like him because they knew how to pray, but they didn't know how to pray like that. And one of the key things that Jesus taught them, he says, pray this. Praying to God, your will be done. Your will be done. And I wonder if our prayers look like that. What would it look like if we said, God, your will be done with my finances? Your will be done with my future. Like, I have my plans, they seem good, but I trust you, your will be done. How about your will be done with my family? What would that look like? I mean, that's trust, right? Do you trust the Lord or not? Because this is what trust looks like. Your will be done. I may not understand it, but I trust you. He says, this is your true worship in Romans 12.1. This life of worship flows from your love of God, motivated, motivated by the mercies of God, and empowered, empowered by the Spirit of God. The Apostle Paul in John, uh, 1 Corinthians 3.16 asks this question by way of a teaching moment and reminder. He says this, he says, don't you yourselves know that you are God's temple and the Spirit of God lives in you? I wonder if we forget that as Christians sometimes. We're God's temple, and then God's Spirit dwells in you through your faith in Christ Jesus alone. And what we see here in God's mercy, the powerful activity of the Holy Spirit was and is personally present in our lives. That's what I want to look at. The Holy Spirit was active and present in your, number one, saving. Let me ask you this. For those who are following Jesus by faith, just think about this. I don't want you, you don't need to raise your hands. How did you come to faith? Like, think back at that season, maybe you had a moment. How did you come to faith? Did you just wake up one morning like, you know what? Yeah. I know more now. I've got to this intellectual ascent. I trust in Jesus. Is that what it looked like? Did I help grandma across the street enough times? And now I trust in Jesus. Like, what did it look like? I can tell you what it looked like. 
Like, I don't know every one of your stories. I know some. I know mine. This is what the Bible says. It's two things at the same time. One, the Holy Spirit's power was active in your hearing or reading the gospel, and you believed. Heard a testimony recently of one of our family members in this faith family. Just reading God's word, he came to faith. Pretty amazing. It's almost like God wrote the thing. Pretty wild. So when he heard or read the gospel and believed, and the Holy Spirit's power was active in drawing you to himself or wooing you to himself. Jesus says this in John 6, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Ephesians 1, 4, and 5 says, For he, being God, chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will. I know that some of those words chosen and drawing and predestination makes you a little nervous, but it's in the Bible. I'm not making this stuff up. But it's actually more comforting maybe than you realize. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For you're saved by grace through faith. This is not of yourselves. It's God's gift. We see the Holy Spirit does this in our lives. In John 16, Jesus says, Nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away, because if I don't go away, the Counselor will not come to you, the Holy Spirit. I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. God's mercy is to save you from your sin. God's grace is to show us our sin. When we see conviction, it's, I think, been understood wrongly. Conviction is to aim for correction, not condemnation. It's to aim for correction. It's God's mercy and grace to show us that we're actually sinners in need of a Savior. It's His love not to leave us in the condition that we may not even know we're in. Correction, not condemnation. The enemy whispers condemnation. Building term, right? Unfit for use. We hear the whispers. It comes by way in our own minds sometimes. Do you remember that thing you did? How could you? Unforgivable. Remember how you talked to that person? Remember how you, just in the parking lot before you walked in the doors, how you were yelling, screaming your face off at your kid, and you were going to go worship? How you treated your wife this morning? Those things that you were thinking? And you're going to come worship? It's unforgivable. Mirror your background, the drug addictions, pornography. God would never forgive that. Unfit for use. That's condemnation. That's not from the Lord. Conviction will show some things. Maybe it sounds a lot like that, but with the heart of turn from those things to receive forgiveness because you're never beyond God's grace. Because his amazing love for you, turn to him and repent, saying, thank you, Lord, for showing me this, because for my own good to turn to you, because I need you. I need more, less of me, more of you. That's conviction. And that's what the Holy Spirit does, convicts. And we know that God begins physical life at conception, but he begins spiritual life at conviction. In John 3, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, this religious leader, and he tells him he needs to be born again to enter the kingdom of God. In other words, we're all, at some point in our lives, the walking dead. All of us. 
I was watching football, and I'm going to keep using football analogies until you guys start liking football, okay? I'm just going to do it. A couple weeks ago, the Vikings, I know everyone's watching this game on a Saturday on the edge of your seats, the Vikings were down to the Colts 33-0 at halftime. And to everyone, this was, they are dead. There are no way they're coming, from back, coming back from that deficit because it's never happened. And yet, what happened? They came back from 33-0, to I know you guys love this story, 33 33- to zero to win the game, something that's never happened before. But at halftime, everyone's like, this game's over. You know, the crowd's leaving, channels are turning. But the game wasn't over. Something happened in that locker room. I'm not saying the Holy Spirit was poured out. That's not where I'm going with this. But when the Holy Spirit enters our life, things change. We're brought from death to life. Ephesians 2 1 through 5 describes every one of us like this. This depends on where you're at in your process. It says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked in the ways of this world. According to the rule of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient, we too all previously lived among them our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. We were by nature children of wrath as the elders were also. But God, but God who is rich in mercy, in view of mercies of God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in our trespasses. You are saved by grace. When Jesus is given the parable of the prodigal son, right? He goes to the father and says, Dad, I basically wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance now. And like it's a Jesus story, the father actually does it instead of just... Smacking them down. I'm not condoning smacking down your kids. I'm just saying. He gives them it. And the son goes and squanders it. And gets to the point just helpless. Lost. Hopeless. And he returns to his dad with a repentant heart. God forgive me. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against God. And what's the father do? He celebrates. He throws a celebration. He says this. In Luke 15, because this son of mine was dead and is alive again, he was lost and is found. We all are at some level living this story out. It's just, where are you? Jesus is the difference maker, but God who is rich in mercy saved us from our sin, drawing us to himself when we believe in Jesus for salvation of our sins. And you may not know the whole complexity of the doctrine of soteriology, right? How does God do it? How does it work? But all you may know is that I know that Jesus paid the price for my sin by dying on the cross because he lived a perfect life that I couldn't live to pay the price that I owed, death. And somehow, way, his blood on the cross counted for me. And I believe it. That's when God celebrates Dead, and I was alive. You were lost and found. And this is what the Holy Spirit does. Holy Springs us. Holy Spirit brings us from lost to life. But it doesn't stop there. The Holy Spirit brought us into a power-given, purpose-driven life. Like so many times, I think we think our life is done at the moment of salvation. Like I've arrived, we've made it. Now we're gonna kind of just get in our holy huddles and enjoy life together in this comfy little thing that we do. We're just now getting started. God's just now working the purpose He designed you for in the first place, starting with being with Him. By the power of the Holy Spirit, 
So we see in God's mercy, the Holy Spirit power is active in saving. His power is active in your sealing. That is securing you in Him. Ephesians 1.13 says, In Him you are also sealed by the promised Holy Spirit. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. Sealed. This is for everything. This goes back to John 14, 16, when Jesus said, I'll give you the counselor to be with you forever. Forever's a long time. Do you guys realize that? That's a long time. So when you come to faith in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside you that seals you in him forever. Versus when you do not have Jesus, you haven't surrendered to him, you do not have the Holy Spirit, and if you stay in that condition, you will have him never. Never is a long time also. I've heard it said like this, the Holy Spirit is the glue of the gospel. John Calvin says, the Holy Spirit is the bond by which Christ effectually unites us to himself. And here's the takeaway truth that you cannot miss. What you it did not earn, you cannot lose. What has been given to you will not be taken away. God chose you, draws you, predestined you, sealed you. And this drawing is so interesting. Like for me, my story, I wasn't always walking with Jesus. I didn't come to put my faith in Jesus until I was 20. But in high school, I was involved in a friend group that would go to church every once in a while. And in church, I always felt like I was okay with God. I thought me and God were good. I'd just do my own thing. There was a God, and I kind of knew that, and I thought we were all right. And so I'd be there on Sunday mornings just worshiping Him. It's interesting. Is that true worship? I don't even know Him. But yet He was drawing me through those instances of just being at church. He was drawing me. Through his friend group, he was drawing, wooing me. I didn't even know it. I wonder how many of you are sitting here this morning and don't really know him, know a lot about him, but God's drawing you. I mean, some of you maybe got invited by a friend, tricked, you know, thought you were being taken to breakfast and your friend throws you a granola bar and takes you to church, right? You know, I don't know how you got here. But God's drawing us to himself. He has, he does, and he will but he seals us in him by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, by God's mercy, saves, seals, and he sends. S-E-N-D. My wife gets on me. California, I guess we don't enunciate well. Not S-I-N. We good there? Sins. We see that followers of Jesus go and be. That's what Jesus says. He calls us to go in Matthew 28. Go, therefore, and make converts, no. disciples. But the word is as you go, as you go. Yeah, we go, a couple times this year, we're going to go to Puerto Rico and work with our partner church plant down there to see disciples made. That's not what Jesus is saying in its entirety here. He says, as you go, as you go to work tomorrow morning, as you go to Walmart, as you go play flag football without your cleats, you need a paracletes, right? Good there? As you go, it's a life of worship. In Mark 16, Jesus says, go, in, go into all the world and preach the gospel. 
That's not just for the paid professionals that stand up on a stage in front of a church and proclaim God's word. Preach is to teach. We all go and teach the gospel. In Acts 1.8, he tells his disciples to wait. Wait until the Holy Spirit comes and then go. He says, then you will see power in the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in all Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That means as you go, you are to go while being my witnesses, going and sharing what you've been shown and seen. As you go. That's interesting. He says, wait until you receive the Holy Spirit because we will jack things up without the Holy Spirit. That's just me? Okay, that's just me. It's all right. We will jack things up without the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. We are powerless without the power of the Holy Spirit. So all the things that God calls us to do, we cannot do in the way that glorifies God and that's good for others without the presence of the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 28, 20, and remember, why? Because we forget. Remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In other words, go and be living sacrifices, living a Holy Spirit-empowered life of worship in this Romans 12.1 kind of way. Jesus says to his followers, you are the light of the world. This is what the life of worship looks like. It looks like light. He says in Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so that may see your good works and glorify you. Glorify your Father in heaven. This life of worship amplifies your light to the world. And we see that we're saved from death and wrath, but we're saved to a life of worth. We forget that, I think, sometimes. We're saved to something. We're saved to purpose. We're saved to worth. And this is what we're going to talk about these next few weeks. In this new view of power, this new view of prayer, the new view of the places that God's put you or the people that he has around you and even your purpose in life. And the Holy Spirit flips our focus from ourselves to others, feeling a life of worship, a life lived, spent loving God, loving others, and making disciples. That's what this looks like. I find I just want us to touch one more time real quick on this aspect of true worship, meaning there's actually false worship. True worship means there's something false. And I wonder how many times we fall into false worship. And I know, rightly, we understand false worship as worshiping false gods. I know we think about Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism. How about atheism? Those that claim there is no God, you're actually setting yourself up as God. That's what happens. And if that hasn't stepped on your toes yet, let me give you another second. False worship is also those things that will replace them before God. It can be your occupation. It could be your finances. It could be success. It could be your children. I saw a post from a friend of ours, and kind of jokingly, but many people don't take it so jokingly, celebrating their child's birthday, just saying, I worship, we worship this child of ours. And, you know, it's, it's tongue-in-cheek. But a lot of people, it's not. So who are we worshiping? Ourselves? It's false worship. 
It goes back to me in my early days. I was offering false worship up as God was drawing me to him. I was even in youth group, lost, thinking I was okay, dead, thinking I was alive, while following the lusts that were all around me. All along, the Holy Spirit was drawing me to himself. See, the true worship flows from our love of God. It gives us a view of the mercies of God by enabling of the power of the Spirit of God. 2 Timothy 1, 7 tells us this. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. Two things. Fear is a spirit. It's not from God. He's given us one of power, but I think we forget that. In Genesis 2, when God formed man, he breathed the breath of life in his nostrils. In John 20, we see Jesus comes to his followers after his resurrection. It says, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I also send you. After saying this, he breathed on them, received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the power difference maker in our lives. I thought I'm going to give a, an illustration, so we're going to go with this. And this is, this is, this may be iffy, so bear with me. I think it makes sense. So the Holy Spirit, use illustration of a balloon. My wife warned me not to do this, but against better judgment, here I go. So when you blow up a balloon, You would say that's full of air, right? But we know it gets fuller, right? Actually. That's full of air also, right? Both are full of air. I'm not going to keep blowing up. Everybody's worried that's going to pop and it's going to be all crazy. I'm not going to do that. But this is full of air. We can be full of the Holy Spirit. And we can be even fuller of the Holy Spirit. But then what happens? Sometimes we start not losing the Holy Spirit, but we become less full. Jesus, when teaching about the soils, he explains this parable of the soils in Matthew or Mark chapter 4. He says this, he says, The worries of this age, deceitfulness of wealth, desires for other things enter and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. I wonder how many of us this is happening to. The Holy Spirit is being choked out. You're not losing them, but you're not as full as you could be because of everything that creeps in. The spirit of fear, the pursuit of other things that come before the Lord, how we sway and drift in our relationship. How many of us need to be refilled Maybe for the first time, see a bloom with no air, still has purpose, but it's not fulfilling its purpose, per the designer. The purpose is to be expanded, to be used, 
intentionally. There's some in churches all around the world, maybe even here today, that don't have the Spirit and are not even seeing that God's designed you for a purpose, intentionally, wonderfully, beautifully made, to know Him, to be known by Him, and to live a life that Jesus calls the abundant life with Him. Peter, in Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, the Holy Spirit has been poured out. And Peter, you know, the first one to talk first, the loudest, jumps up. This is different. Holy Spirit empowered, he starts talking to the crowd. He says, you have crucified Jesus, which wasn't true. Not all of them did. But you, and by way of your rejection, have crucified Jesus. And the crowd replies back to Peter, then what do we do? What are we to do? This is the Holy Spirit start working, and by way of conviction, we've seen our sin. What do we do? Peter says this. He says, repent. That is, repent and believe. Two sides of the same coin. Repent and believe. And it says, and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sin, and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent and believe. And this baptism isn't something we do. God does that the Spirit But this baptism is something that follows belief. Because what happened, he says, repent and believe. And they do. And it says, 3,000 were then baptized. That's immersed in water by symbolizing what God did inside them, out of obedience to Christ. But it started with conviction, by the way of the Holy Spirit. And what we see here is the Holy Spirit is the difference between a power-driven life and a powerless life. So I'm just wondering, how many here are living a powerless life? How many here are still the walking dead? Like you're, you're alive, but you're missing it. You're missing the purpose and the plan that God has for you and is extended by God's grace and the gift of Jesus to draw you to himself, to experience the full life, the abundant life that's in Christ Jesus. To know the one true and living God and to be known by him. I'm going to invite our band back up one more time, and we're going to worship. We're going to worship, and we're going to respond. And so I'm going to pray for us, and I'm going to invite you to respond what God's doing in your life. And as you respond, your response as we sing could be responding in praise and singing because God's worthy. It could be sitting and praying, dealing with what God's revealing to you. Maybe there's some conviction by God's grace and the Holy Spirit moving that you just need to spend some time repenting. Saying, God, I've seen the areas I've sinned and fall short. Forgive me. God's promise says that He does forgive. Faithful and righteous to forgive. Maybe you just need to spend time with God just say, fill me more with your presence. I feel the spirit of fear. I know that's not from you. The spirit of anxiety, spirit of worry, spirit of worthlessness. That's not from the Lord. God says you're perfectly and wonderfully made. And he's pursuing you. Maybe for the first time, you feel God drawing you in. And it's time to surrender fully and finally to God's leading 
to receive his promises that he will never leave you nor forsake you and begin living life of power, the one that he gives by his presence and his purpose in all who would believe. We're going to have a prayer team to the side too. We love to pray with you, pray for you, because you're not walking alone in this faith journey. Let's respond to what God's doing and how he's doing it in you specifically. I'm going to pray for us. Let's respond. Father, we thank you. We thank you for bringing us here this morning. We thank you for this new day, this new year. Lord, right now I just ask that you give us a a new view on the power that you have extended to us and have given us through faith in Christ Jesus, the power to live a life full of worship to you, to live a life full of purpose. Father, lead us to respond to what you're doing right now. Lord, we thank you for your goodness of your grace. We thank you for being so present and personal. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that leads and convicts. So, Lord, I pray that you continue to reveal maybe even blind spots that we have in our lives, things that we are there we weren't even aware of. Lord, show those things to us that are barriers in our relationship between us and you. Lord, lead us and refresh us by the power of your Holy Spirit, Father. Help us see your amazing love that was poured out through Christ Jesus for us, for all who would come to you. We know that you will receive us with open arms. Like the Father who celebrates the Son that was in rebellion, us, whoever would come to you, you will receive and celebrate us. Once we were dead, once dead and are alive and we're lost and we're found, you bring us from lost to life. And let's remember that moment or right now. Let's just receive the goodness of your grace and your amazing love. Let your presence just wash over us in this time. Refresh us. Restore us. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your amazing love. We thank you for this time that you've given us to spend together just to focus on you. Help us to see you more clearly. And we pray all this in the name that's above every other name. That is the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Way Church Podcast. If you would like prayer or if you'd like to talk to someone about a personal relationship with Jesus, please contact us through our website at thewaychurchrva.com.